Hi, and welcome to Imperial College Africa Business Podcast. My name is Chemeka Okeke, and I'm joined by Danny, my co-host, and Darren on this episode. Darren, who is our guest on this series, is actually the CEO of Talent in the Cloud International, which is an executive search firm focused on the fintech sector. Prior to launching Talent in the Cloud, he was the CEO of an international technology and telecoms recruitment business with offices in Europe, the Middle East and Africa. He serves on the board of a number of startups, NGOs and gender diversity groups. And today, we'll be learning about his experiences, his journey and his entrepreneurial path within Africa. Hi Darren, welcome to the podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you on board. My name is Chemeka Okeke. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me as a, a guest on your podcast. I've uh, been looking forward to this for a, for a little while. Okay. So how has like the week been for you? I mean, is there like, is the lockdown over there so intense as it is in London or it's quite um, relaxed? Well, I'm actually in South Africa. So I, I've been in South Africa for the last six, seven years. And we, we had a very, very hard lockdown here. When was it? March, April, May. It was, you know, very hard. You know, we weren't allowed outside of our houses pretty much for eight, nine weeks, which was challenging when I've got two, two, two young kids and two dogs that need exercise in no particular order. So that, that was tough. But, um, you know, the cases have, have, have thankfully gone down here quite considerably over the last, uh, certainly the last few weeks. We're now in sort of level one and there's, there's five tiers and we're in sort of tier one, which is the, the lightest of that. So pretty much everything is, is, is kind of back to normal. You know, still have to wear masks and things like that and still have to be very careful. But, uh, you know, the economy is, is, is fully open. And, you know, that was, that was I, th- I think, uh, you know, a big decision that the government had to make. So, so far, beginning of this year has been OK. That's amazing. We are actually going back to normal on Monday. My kids get to go back to school and I can't wait. Like, happy as mum. <laughs> this one time. Yeah, I think my, my, my wife feels the same. Uh, I mean, I, I take my hats off to, to everyone who's been homeschooling, whether that's, you know, mums or dads or grandparents, because it's, it's hard. Huh? It's very, very hard. And uh, I, I think uh, I have a newfounded respect for, uh, for teachers. Yes. Because if you, if, you, if you asked me, you know, that when I was at school, I probably would have said the complete <laughs> yes. opposite. But uh, I have a newfound res- respect for anyone that teaches children because uh, I couldn't do it. Okay, so continuing, we would like to know a whole lot about you, want to know more about you. Please, can you tell us about your journey, essentially what led you to the entrepreneurial path? I mean, you started in recruitment, but here now you are doing entrepreneurship, being on boards of different companies. Um, We'd like to know if it was like an accident or a spin-off of a series (laughs) of events. Well, in 22 years of being in this industry, the staffing industry i have never met a single person who has said you know when i was a child i dreamt of being in recruitment uh, I, i've never met anyone that's ever said that and I don't, I don't think i ever will and if i did i would probably question them but no look i i, I fell into this this, this world of, of sort of staffing you know uh, a bit of history so when i when i left school uh, and i left school literally the day i was legally allowed to leave school because i was not academic at all and you know school was great from a socialist perspective but I couldn't hack education so um, I, I actually trained as a chef my, my dad was a chef and uh, I decided to follow sort of in his footsteps so I did that for nearly two years well, a year and a half and uh, really really enjoyed that but I didn't like the working conditions and I didn't like the working hours and I was what 16 17 and 
all my friends were out sort of going to pubs and clubs and doing things that 16, 16, 17 year olds should be doing, not necessarily working for 14 hours straight in a kitchen for seven days a week. So I thought, no, there's got to be an easier way uh, to make a living, right? So all, all, all my friends in the UK were in property. Well, or most, most of my friends in the UK were in property. So they were sort of real estate agents. And I thought, well, that sounds quite easy, driving around in a company car, wearing a suit and showing people <laughs> houses, right? I mean, that's got to be a lot easier than, uh, you know, standing over a hot stove for hours and hours on end and getting screamed at by head chefs and yeah. sous chefs and everything like that. So I thought, well, give it a go. So my friend, best friend, actually best man at my wedding, got me a, uh, an interview with his area director. I met with her and they offered me the job. So I know good. I'm now a real estate agent and it, it was in the boom time. So we're talking what late nineties. So it was, you know, it was probably the easiest job I've ever had because, you know, you don't sell houses, houses sell themselves. So all you're yeah. effectively doing is, you know, moving people around, opening doors and sort of closing deals. So it was, it was easy. And I, I did that for a few years. And one of the offices that I was working in, there was a pub next door, which obviously, you know, had its pros and has its cons. But I think it was a, a Thursday afternoon where I was sitting there sort of enjoying a nice drink. And I got chatting to these guys who worked in the business center next door us. Um, we were chatting, you know, what do you do? What do I do? And they said, oh, we do this thing called recruitment. I was like, okay. And they said, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit like what you do. But instead of matching people with houses, we match people with jobs. Right? Okay, so pretty similar. And this is what we earn. And I kind of went, Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. So I spoke to uh, a friend of mine and she was, she used to babysit for one of the directors of a, uh, uh, it was a listed company, a listed staffing business in the UK, but very well known one. And I had an interview with this lady and a couple of other panel interviews and they offered me the job and I went, okay, uh, I'm, I'm now a recruiter, clearly. And Guys, if I'm going into too much detail, please, please stop me because I can. No, it's fine. But, We're uh, enjoying it. <laughs> I, I'll never forget my. I think it was my my second week in the world of recruitment. My uh, MD David, I remember he called me into the office and uh, he said to me, "Listen, how are you fighting the pressure?" And I looked at him and I laughed and I didn't mean to be disrespectful, but I laughed at him. And he said to me, "What, what are you laughing at?" And I said, "Well, you're asking me to make 50 phone calls a day." I take it you've never worked in a kitchen under a German head chef. And he kind of went, no, <laughs> this isn't pressure. Believe me, this isn't pressure. I, I can do this standing on my head. And anyway, so I was in that business. Uh, I was uh, part of the Harvey Nash group for about a year and a half, maybe, maybe two years. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a great sort of, you know, experience. And I won't yeah. get to too much detail than that. And then uh, my, my director at the time, the lady that hired me, she went to join a startup around the corner from where I used to live because Harvey Nash was in London. So I was, you know, sort of schlapping to London every day, uh, in the freezing cold, which is not fun. Let me tell you, it's not fun. And no, it's not fun. So she started a startup with, with another guy and I, I joined them because they offered me a little bit more money and uh, it was around the corner from where I lived and I quite liked the guys. So I joined, there was five of us and that was 2001. Yeah, 2001, I think. And yeah, uh, there was five of us in, in, in that business and that business then sort of grew and grew me. And I, I, I you know, I, I have a lot of respect for, for the people in that business, particularly the, um, you know, my former boss and, and the CEO and the founder, Craig. And, you know, I was with that business for 17 years, 16 years, wow. 16 years. 
And that took me to the Middle East. So we had an office in Dubai. So I was in Dubai for seven years. And then we, we wanted an office on the African continent because we were starting to do quite a bit of work in Africa. We moved to South Africa, to Cape Town. My, my, my wife hated Dubai. I loved it, but my wife hated Dubai. So uh, my in-laws live in Cape Town, South Africa as well. So it was quite an easy sell. Yeah. So we moved to, moved to South Africa sort of a, a year into that. You know, the, the sort of the shareholders wanted different things and different part, different sort of stages of our lives and decided to exit that business. So I came out of that business and then I started uh, Talent in the Cloud, which I can talk to you guys about and tell you why we started that and what it was and what it is now. Because the one thing in entrepreneurship is that word pivot. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's a fundamental <laughs> word. So, yeah. <laughs> Pivoting, I think that's 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 so key to what next. Because when once you think, yeah. all right, I think I can do it slightly different. You just you know move with your conviction. So that's amazing. We we'll actually love to hear that. So, well, after after sort of sixteen years in in the world of staffing, the last thing I wanted to do was you know have another sort of staffing company. I really didn't want to do that. I, and I love tech. I'm I'm a I'm a kind of wannabe developer, and I can come onto that a bit later on. But um, I decided that actually I was going to build a platform. I was going to build a, 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 a staff or recruitment platform designed, you know, specifically with the African challenges in mind or African challenges in mind and started sort of scoping it out, started pricing it out, started trying to build it myself. And then after about three months, it was like, I don't have the expertise. I certainly don't have the money. I've never raised, I've never had to sort of raise funding before. I wouldn't know where to start. And, and it was a bit like, oh, what am I doing? And then I started sort of re reselling some other very, very, very cool software from um, Silicon Valley and sort of, sort, of, sort of selling that into some companies here. But it, it wasn't scalable. It wasn't me. I, I'm not a, a natural salesperson. So it was a little bit alien and it wasn't really exciting me. And then uh, out of the blue, I, I got a phone call from someone I knew in Nairobi, British guy. And he called me and said, listen, I've, I've just moved to this, this payments company. Um, they just had some private equity funding. We need to scale across Africa, 18 countries in the next 24 months. And my response was, well, that's great, but I don't do recruitment anymore. So, you know, best of luck. I might be able to put you in touch with a couple of people. And he said, no, no, no. Well, listen, we, we're going into countries that we, we've never had a physical footprint in. In fact, we've never been to some of these countries as a, as a team. So we want to know how we're going to do this. Uh, we've got challenges in other markets that we have been established in. How do we go about doing this? You know, would, would you be prepared to come over and meet with the Exco team and um, just kind of whiteboard some ideas and some strategies? And I said, yeah, okay. So they flew me over to Nairobi and I sat with the Exco team for four days. And that was a company called, well, back then they were called 3G Pay Online. They're now DPO Group and DPO Group have since sold to Network International uh, last year. So that was, uh, that was a big deal. And uh, so I, I sat with the team and went, listen, I'm not selling you anything. I'm here as a consultant, right? So I'll tell you the way that I would do things. We had this great big whiteboard and I was sort of, you know, free, uh, free, what's the word? Free writing, if that's even spitballing ideas and uh, came up with a process. I mean, look, I think this will work. Yeah. So Eran, who's the, uh, the CEO, and he said, okay, when do you start? I went, no, 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 I don't start. <laughs> I'm a consultant, right? I don't, I don't have to do the doing. I've given you the idea. It's kind of over to you guys. So Eran said, no, listen, you're the only person that can do this because it's your idea. And I said, all right, well, look, it's an idea. So I'm happy to take it on, on a, as a pilot and then see whether it works. But just on the basis of, listen guys, I can't make any guarantees. So that's what we did. 
and came back to Cape Town, sat in my, in my garage and went, okay, let's see whether this, this process works. The first project we got was, or the first project we ran this on was in a place called Arusha. Now, when they called me and went, right, the first thing we want to do is Arusha, I kind of went, where's what that? that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, thank, thank God for, for Google, because I, I, I then found out that Arusha is in Tanzania and is bound by Mount Kilimanjaro. So I kind of went, okay, that's where it is. So we, we, I ran this process and it was me, right? I had no, no team, um, ran this process, They've been struggling to hire in that market, in, in, in the Tanzania market for, for many, many, many months and couldn't find anyone. We ran the process within five days, I think it was. We had maybe 120, 130 people who were all relevant. We then whittled that down using some testing and using some, some pretty cool tech to the top sort of 15. I then interviewed the, the top 15 and, and sent them the top five. They hired three out of the five and they only had one position at the time. So that was, that was a really, really kind of good case study we then rolled that out to where are we now we're now at 15 countries with dpo i think so that's from uh, zim through to uh, malawi obviously kenya nigeria uh, ivory coast senegal cameroon namibia botswana so it's pretty pan yeah it was really exciting and then uh, I, I raised some. I actually raised some some funding for the business because um, you know, was was DPO was was one client. Obviously, you can't survive on one client. And I wanted to do things a little bit differently. What I I, I clearly found myself back being a kind of a staffing business owner. I went, ah, okay, if, we, if if this is what I am, yeah. we're going to do things completely different. I do not want just another me too staffing business. And I felt like there was an opportunity in in, in Africa to actually offer something that was quite unique and a very different way of doing things. So the one thing I, I have always hated about the world of, of sort of staffing and recruitment is it's, you go into any recruitment company, it's, it's full of salespeople. It's full of people making cold calls left, right and center. And for me, that's, I mean, I'm a terrible sales manager, guys. I really am. Um, so, you know, if I could avoid having a sales team, that was exactly what I wanted to do. So I, I went on this journey of inbound marketing, right? How can we, how can we use some of the really cool techniques that a lot of these SaaS companies, software as a service companies use, right? To attract customers. Yeah. How can we make it, how, how do we get to the position where customers are coming to us rather than us having to go to them? Nice. So we, 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 we went on this journey. I joined a, a couple of mastermind groups and, and, and learned loads and went on this journey of creating this business purely based on inbound marketing. And to date, and we are five years old actually today, it's our fifth year anniversary, um, we've not made one single outbound sales call, not one single one uh, in five years. Uh, all of our businesses come to us, either through some of the campaigns that we run or through referrals. Um, and at the moment, most of our businesses through referrals. So that's kind of the, the very high level overview. Since then, we've, we've done some really cool stuff. I, I do a lot of work in gender diversity, which happy to talk to you guys about and that's a big passion of mine and then off the back of probably this inbound marketing strategy a big part of it was what I would call sort of authority marketing it's not really being an influencer but it's it's kind of being an, an, an authority in the market so it's, it's really about recognition so obviously Danny we, we, we met on uh, the the infamous clubhouse <laughs> yes and it was it, it was one of those you know this this this, this platform may last 10 minutes it may be the next twitter who knows so we kind of fully embraced that um you know ramped up followers set up a route uh, set up a club um and got some really good traction 
but aside aside from that, you know, the last four years prior to COVID, I, I'd spent pretty much on the road across the continent, talking events, um, moderating events, hosting events, you know, championing things like diversity, which is a big part of what I do. And that's really led on to some of the other opportunities that I do now, which is some of the advisory work and some, some of the board roles that, that I hold. So that's kind of the, the, the very brief, it doesn't sound brief guys, but I promise you that's brief. <laughs> I, can, I can talk for 10 hours, but uh, that's, the, that's the brief synopsis. Okay. So, I mean, we hear you when you talk about the fact that you are sort of um, playing in the space, like to kind of bridge the gap about de gender, gender diversity. So um, what has your role been with the African women in fintechs and payment space, as well as other um, roles you hold as board of directors? Yeah, so where are we now? Maybe four years? Yeah, it must have been maybe four years ago. I, I was on LinkedIn and I, I came across this lady called Martha Fisher and she was the CEO of the European Women in Payments Network. And I, I just dropped her a line saying, hi, you know, got an interesting profile, you know, fancy chat so we, we we jumped on a call and we just it was one of those conversations and I, I i i tend to have these fairly frequently you just click with someone and go yeah yeah you're just talking my mind and my language and yeah. uh it was just an, the most incredible incredible lady she really is so martha and i connected and she was starting to do things on on the african continent and, and set up this community called the african women in fintech and payments and clearly i fit the bill i know i know people on the podcast can't see me but um you know i'm a, i'm a very pale brit living in africa running around the continent championing diversity for african women so i, I do stand out you. i've got to be We're happy to have you trust me <laughs> <laughs> so, so i said to martha look i'll tell you what we did why, why don't you why don't you arrange a very informal breakfast here in cape town we'll see if we can get you know, some, some, some women in fintech into a room, you know, have some topical conversations, have a bit of a panel, have some nice breakfast and see where this goes. So that's what we did. And uh, in Cape Town, it's almost impossible to get people into a room because people just don't travel, right? Um, and so we chose a Friday morning, which could have been the worst time, in probably the most congested part of Cape Town. You know, with hindsight, probably wasn't the smartest idea, but we still had 63, 63 women turn up to this event. And it was just eye-opening for me. And, and uh, I suppose a bit of history, you know, why, why is, you know, gender diversity something that, that I'm passionate about? Well, it kind of stemmed from my work in the Middle East or my time in the Middle East. And it didn't occur to me that there was an issue until I started working in Africa. And specifically when I first met DPO Group. So when I first met DPO Group, I sat in a room and there was the CEO, Aaron, there was the CFO at the time, Richard, and then the rest of the EXO team, and they were all women, okay? So there's Kate, who was head of marketing, Ros, who was head of sales, Kathy, who was uh, head of ops or COO. It was one of those moments where you go, you know what? I've not been in a meeting with a room of, of women who are decision makers in seven, eight years, right? And it made me think, not, not once in my time in Dubai or the UAE or the Middle East, did I ever sit in a room with women decision makers? Now, there was always women involved. Uh, so, you know, we, 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 but as part of the process, but not making the, the, the key decisions, not the main stakeholders. And, and that kind of re resonated a little bit. And I thought, well, that's a bit, it's a bit odd, but nice. Because I've always, you know, I've always had lots of, lots of, you know, women friends. And, you know, I, I tend to get on with women, uh, you know, probably better than I get on with men. But I, I, I kind of then started having conversations. And I had a conversation with a few people. I'm just talking to them about, you know, being women in, in, in the sector and some of the stories that I was told were horrific. Honestly, guys, I mean, you know, jaw dropping where some of these women, the things they've been asked or told to do in order to further their career or please their boss 
was just completely unacceptable. And I don't care what culture or what country you're from, there's no excuse for that. And, uh, you know, that really made me cross. It really made me angry. And this wasn't stuff that happened 10 years ago. This is stuff that was happening like now. And I just thought, no, nah, this is, you know, I, I don't know if I can make a difference. I probably can't, little old me, but I'm going to give it a go because, you know, there was some the most phenomenal women I met, you know, in my, in my journey, in my five years that have just, A, been amazingly supportive to me and my business and my team. Lots and lots of, you know, female leaders who we know have offered mentorship to, to, to my team, to, to, you know, the women in my team, which I'm, I'm hugely grateful for. And I just wanted to recognize that. And if I, if there was something we could do as a business, not, not, I'm not saying we're going to, uh, you know, we, 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 we're going to eradicate gender uh, issues, but can we help by giving women a voice? Okay, because one yeah. thing I think we're, we're really good at in, the, in, in our business is our sort of marketing and our branding and our awareness. Okay, that's, that's something we do very, very well. But can we use that to, I'm not going to say help women, because that, that, that just sounds a bit egotistical and it's not like that at all. <laughs> but can, can, can we give women a platform Make to a have more of a voice in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's what we did. I, I worked very, very closely with Martha on, on this and, and a couple of the other board members uh, here on the continent. And we ran a event in Nairobi back end of 2019. We had 140, I think it was, 145 women in Africa, well, in Kenya, sorry, come to this event at the Kempinski Hotel. And it was brilliant. There was three guys, because I, I managed to arm wrestle two, two, uh, two of my clients and went, listen, you've got to come because I'm not being the only guy in the room, right? So, <laughs> so I, I, I wrestled two guys in and, you know, we, we even had a manual, which uh, is a bit different from a panel. So a manual is basically, you know, three of us in front of 140 women grilling us on questions. That was, that was super interesting, right? Yeah. Fun. But, you know, aside from kind of the, the tongue in cheek, there was actually some really serious topics that were raised and discussed. And it certainly gave me more of an insight into probably some of the cultural differences. Let, let's, let's say that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and why sometimes there's you know, lack of equality. So, so that's, that's what I've done on, on that side. Since then, we have publicized a, a number of white papers about gender diversity. We have, we have a podcast as well called Talking Success, which again, isn't specifically about gender diversity, but we do host lots and lots of women on there as well. We're trying to get that balance. And I suppose, you know, the one thing that I started to do over the last couple of years is if I'm invited to speak at an event or a webinar, Unless there's 40% women representation, I say no. It's as simple as that. Um, and, and, and there's really small things that, 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 that men, I really feel there needs to be more. So I wrote, guys, I wrote a, an article last year and uh, the title was FinTech Needs More Men. And obviously people didn't read the content and just read the title and the barrage of abuse that I got. <laughs> but the, 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 the idea behind the piece was not about, you know, there needs to be more, more men and less women. It was more about there needs to be more male allies you know, because certainly in the sector that we work in, which is fintech, it is predominantly a male-dominated sector. And we, we, we can't ignore that. But if, if men are in the driving seat and uh, decision makers, then they need to be allies to women in, uh, women in general, right? So my, my whole idea about this piece was, you know, was talking about, you know, uh, uh, having more male allies rather than having more men in fintech. But anyway, we, we, we got over that. So, so that was a bit of fun. But so, yeah, so, so, so my point is, uh, I think there's small things that male leaders can do 
or male business owners can do, or anyone, actually it doesn't need to be a leader, it can be anyone, can do to actually help move the needle a little bit, simply by saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to attend this event, or actually I'm going to give up my speaking slot to a woman. Okay, and then here's five or here's 10 that you can go and speak to that I'm sure would be happy to speak. So I think there's there's really small things that can be done. And obviously, you know, there, there are bigger things when it comes to, you know, having a, you know, a diverse board and a diverse leadership team and, and, and diversity in your business. And again, about, uh, you know, there, there is, I think, a big difference between um, diversity and inclusion. You know, yeah. uh, for me, diversity is quantitative, right? It's tick a box, you know, yeah. how many women do we have in our business whereas inclusion is is really what ma- where magic happens, happens. Yes. if you don't have inclusion and you don't know how to include people you got in your business what's the point of having a diverse hiring strategy it's, yeah. it's a voice of everyone's time wow. i agree with you it's amazing okay so we want to um, move on to like startups now so what mm. would, what, what would i understand that it wouldn't be like a typical easy experience to sort of found a company to sort of go through the whole logistics of hiring people having building your structure and your team members and all of all those stuff. So we want to understand um, how did you decide about your structure, whether to keep things in-house or did you outsource like your, your, your team members when you started off? And then generally, what was your perspective about um, starting your business? And for instance, if I want to like start up my own business right about now, what would be your typical advice generally in terms of logistics and everything that you had to tackle? Okay, let me try and answer those questions one by one. I think first of all, there are two different types of startups. There are startups that are what we call bootstrapped, where you don't have any funding and you're funding it effectively yourself from your savings or from family and friends, okay? That's very different to you having a startup and getting funding from an angel investor or from maybe an early stage venture capital firm. And, you know, these things are difficult to do on the, on the continent. Let's, let's just, you know, uh, address that straight away. You know, raising yeah. funding on the continent is very, very Difficult. hard. Very few people succeed that. So if you're bootstrapping, right? So I've got my own money I'm putting into this venture. How do I do that? Where do I start? And what would be my advice? First things first, make sure you do your market research. You might have the best idea for an app, okay? But don't start building anything until you've spoken to at least 100 people who are not your family or your friends. Because your family or friends are going to be biased, Okay. They may think they're doing you a favor by saying, yeah, it's a great idea, but... Um, Some may be honest. Some may be honest, though. Yeah, yeah. You, you, need to, you, you, know, you need to go to a, a, an audience who don't know you, and you can find audiences these days. That's not difficult to do, right, with social media. So you need to validate your idea. That's the first thing I would do before I even start thinking about my structure and my business. Validate my idea. Then, you know, again, if we were talking about a, a technology business, because that's kind of where... where so my experience has been, you know, if you're asking me about sort of retail, that's not, uh, it's not an area where I really sort of know too well. But so if we're talking about technology, um, how do I build an MVP, you know, the most viable product or what people are calling it now, you know, the most lovable pro- pro- product, MLP. So what, how do I build that? And if I'm not a technical co- founder of a business, what do I do? And that's, that's a big, big question, right? So I might be a, a commercial guy or commercial lady and go, right, okay, well, I want to build this business. I've, I've, I've worked out, you know, my, um, my costs, I've worked out my profit margin. I know how I'm going to take this to market, but I now need to, need to build the thing. Like, how do I do that? There are a few options. One is you can, and I'm not suggesting people go and lo- learn how to code 
because that's you know that that's a career that's not something you pick up in five minutes but what you can do and i i really do believe this is that you can do a a wireframe model of your app or your site or your technology using any tool that you want and um, there's things like figma there's things like, i think it's called what's the adobe one I can't remember what the, there's, there's an, an Adobe one as well. I can't remember what it's called. Even Canva, to be honest with you, you know, just to get an idea of what my screens are going to look like. Okay, my first five screens, what's it going to look like? Once you have an idea on that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a visual person. So for me, I need to see something. I need to be able to move things around and sort of play with things. I, I can't necessarily just write text and text and text because it gets lost. So I would, I, I would build a, a very light prototype. It doesn't have to work doesn't have to work at all right um, yeah. the, the the beauty of these things like figma is it it works kind of on the platform it's brilliant it's really really cool get that and again th- then then i think it's a case of right how much money do you have and how much money are you willing to spend if you have hundred thousand dollars then you can go and outsource that and get that built for you for a fraction okay. of that cost right probably for 10 15 that well again depends on the scope of the project if i've got five thousand dollars in my bank account or a thousand dollars in my bank account, then my options are starting to, to, to be very, very limited. Now I could go and get a freelancer, perhaps to go and do some of the some of the design. I think if I've got a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars and I want to build a tech platform, it's gonna be very, very difficult because these things really? are expensive. Yeah. I look, you know, the likes of Amazon and Google and Microsoft and IBM. They all offer free access on their platforms, okay, to startups. They all do. Uh, most of them offer 12 months. So you can play with all of those technologies. But unless you're a technologist, where do you start? Exactly right? Right. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, the, guys, it's not as easy as, uh, you know, just clicking, a, creating an account on Amazon and setting up a server. Believe me, it's not. It's blimmin' complicated. So that's, uh, that, that, that's something. I, I'm involved in another project, uh, again, in the UK, and it's bootstrapped. And we were fortunate that one of the partners is actually a, a technical architect, right? So he is designing, doing most of the coding and most of the infrastructure work himself. So if I'm not a technical co- a founder and I want to build a tech project, I think it's important that you have someone as a tech partner. Okay. Yeah. Now yeah. we're going to open up a whole kettle of fish here when it comes to how do you hire a, you know, a co-founder, you know, hire, having a co-founder is a bit like getting married. Okay. Well, you're kind of stuck with them, right? And if you want to divorce, it usually gets messy. Um, so I, it, you have to be very, very careful. I, I see too many founders giving away equity like it's going out of fashion, like it's sweets uh, in a sweet shop. Um, you have to be really, really careful. You know, try and get some advice. Even if you can't afford to get legal advice, mm-hmm. come on to Clubhouse because there is the most amazing people talking and giving advice for free um you know join networks join communities join any of the you know the startup communities all of these all of these communities or platforms are there to help you know yeah of course there's people selling you stuff and there's people selling you courses and all of that but you 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 can choose to do that or not i was on a room last night with someone um she's a lawyer based in, in in the u.s talking about sort of crypto and it was the most informative conversation. I got to ask a question, actually a question that I'd asked my accountant and my CFO, and neither of them could answer. And I asked, I asked this lady, you know, on, on last night, and she gave me the answer straight away. And it made sense, right? So, you know, use use social, use the real good part of social media and the internet for your startup. There are so many amazing resources. 
you just have to spend some time um, researching. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you because social media has made a lot of things very accessible and almost free of charge now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I agree. Oh, that's that's amazing. It's been um, fascinating talking to you. But just before we go, I'll just take you back to one more very strategic questions of what's coming out of yeah. Africa. So at the moment is FinTech and it's going on. Yep. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think is the new gold we're going to expect in terms of people building things and resources? I think it's data. So I want to agree you agree with me. Oh, <laughs> you spoiled that because now everyone's going to think I'm just copying you. But, no, I just um, want to make sure we are on the same team. 100. <laughs> 100 million percent data. Data is, you know, is, is, is the new gold. Well, it's probably the new oil, to be fair. We've had this conversation numerous times. And I, Danny, we've been on quite a few clubhouse rooms and, and uh, a lot of people talking about, you know, all, all the focus is going to fintech, all the money is going to fintech. You know, what about all the other sectors? But fintech, really, if you strap, if, if you, you pull back all the layers and you take back all the fancy apps um, and all the fancy sort of um, UI and UX, it's data. It's That's exactly. all it is. It's data yeah. going backwards and forwards, right? I want yeah. to pay you, Danny. It's data. You know, you, you want to pay my business? It's data. Um, I want to buy some cryptocurrency? It's data, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the next natural evolution, uh, or the, not evolution, but the next natural sector is going to be about data. It's going to be about how you can access, obviously legally and compliantly, data on people, data on businesses, data on everything, right? And I think that's one one slight concern in Africa is, you know, is there, is there the, um, the infrastructure in place to have all of yeah. this sort of data housed? But, uh, uh, you know, again, I, I know a number of big initiatives that are happening sponsored by governments that, you know, I think will make that a reality. So if I have a crystal ball, I don't I have a, a glass, but if I have a crystal ball, I think uh, if we have this conversation in three or five years time, we're going to be talking about data tech. I think yeah. data tech is going to be the new FinTech. Yes, and I think the fintech actually is the backbone of any other thing that is going to happen because you, you obviously need to transfer and pay for resources and everything. So it's almost like they've set the stage for the next big thing that is going to come out of Africa. So I, I agree with you. Great. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Darren. This has been exciting. And just to check, so what, what's in stock for your um, your startup, your companies now? What are you guys doing? Yeah. You introduced well, something we should be on the lookout for, you know, something that the audience should be watching out for that is coming out from your team. So we can just talk you a little bit and say this is happening. Just go there and check it out. Well, we've just commissioned a video to be shot because we've, we've got one at the moment, but I've got to be honest, guys, that was one of my bootstrapping ideas where I didn't want to spend any money and I thought I could be a video editor, which I'm clearly not. So um, <laughs> we're now getting that professionally done and that should be released in the next few weeks. The other, the other business I, I just wanted to give a quick mention to was Imali Pay. So Imali Pay is a fintech based in Kenya and Nigeria. You know, the two founders, specifically Tatenda, who's a Zimbabwean chap who I met in Kenya. He was actually a client of mine. Did, did a lot of work with Cellulance and he was a, he was our client there. And he, he and I just, again, just hit it off. He's, he's probably one of the, the most humble, nicest people I think I've ever met in my entire career. And, you know, he, he set up in Mali Pay with Sammy, who's based in Nigeria, again, former Cellulant director. And they've just raised a significant amount of money. So I know we were saying, you know, it's difficult to, to come by in Africa, but the, they've just raised a significant amount of money. And I'm super excited to see what they do in the future. It's a very, very exciting business to watch. So that's Imali Pay. That's amazing. So where, what's the best place where our, founder, our listeners can reach out to you or find you? Clubhouse. 
Um, <laughs> all right. I think, I, I think people think I'm on. I think people think I'm on commission for Clubhouse because that's all I talk about these days. But um, uh, LinkedIn or, 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 or Clubhouse. But uh, I, I think I am on Twitter. I think I'm on Instagram as well. But uh, yeah, the best place to reach me is uh, is LinkedIn. All right, we'll put all your details down and if anybody wants to reach you, they'll do that. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of our um, podcast. Kindly subscribe and we will see you in the coming weeks. Thank you.